0: This is
1: Cliffcentral.com
0: Is this thing on? You're listening to The Bounce Show. It's live. Well, not this bit, but it's live on CliveCentral.com. Um, it's Clive Central, <clears throat> Sorry. Scrap that. Delete it. Cliffcentral.com
2: All right, hello, welcome to The Bounce Show, 15th of March, and it's a great week so far because, well, the Proteas and the Australians, what a series that is, and Kakisa Rabada is appealing, that ridiculous ban that he has been sentenced to, where he'll miss essentially the rest of the, the Aussie series. So two matches to go, of course, is SA vs Australia at Newlands from the 22nd, so in a week's time that will start. Hopefully, this band can be uplifted. Hopefully, common sense prevails. The only thing is that, well, we're a repeat offender. We'll get into that a little bit later. We've also got rugby to talk. There's very much on the go there. There's also lots of golf. It's the Tour Championships for the Sunshine Tour this week. And uh, I'd love to recap on, actually, my trip to the BMW Golf Cup International World Final from last week. Like, I've, I've been lucky enough to do some incredible golfing things. I mean, not just locally, but abroad as well. But last week was so incredibly special. So I'm we'll to chat about that too. But we got a star guest, Tando Roto. He is a sprinter from South Africa. He is, well, he's run a 9.95. And that in, I think it's the third fastest time a South African has ever run over the distance. And as you know, I'm a massive fan of sprinting. I absolutely love it. Usain Bolt has been sort of like a sporting hero of me for quite some time. I don't really have sporting heroes, but that guy for me was like the epitome of a sporting superstar. So Tando is a young guy. He's already making great waves in the sport and him and his coach Henny Creel, they came to studio to record a little bit with uh, Ray Wixle and I now. As you know, Ray was on the show a couple of weeks ago. I didn't really give him the intro that he fully deserved. I mean, this guy is a legend in the world of athletics and just such an interesting guy. So he suggested that we chat to Tando and it was just great that he, he got him to come into studio because right now in his schedule... He's recovering from some injuries. He's obviously, in you know, all these guys have intensive programs where studio time isn't the easiest thing they can commit to. Anyway, him and Henny Creel came through. And Henny himself, I mean, he was also just a massive highlight. This guy used to coach rugby. Uh, he was instrumental in the Bulls when they were in their glory days. And now he's focusing his time completely on athletics. He coaches more than 30 athletes. So this interview is uh, something that we're going to do To be doing more of. So, we're touching on the business of sport, getting into the nuts and bolts of what makes a champion. So, here we have Tandorotto and his coach Henny Creel, along with Ray Wixel. Right, so a few weeks ago we had a guy called Ray Wixel on the show. You remember Ray? He's an ex track star from America. He, um, last week's show was all about Roger Bannistering paying tribute to him. Well, Ray was actually a guy who went out on the track, he broke the four minute mile on many, many occasions. And we had a little sort of promise to you that we're going to start bringing in some real high profile athletics guests. If nothing else, we're going to get guys who are just physically incredible, doing great things in the world of sport. And look at this, delivering this week. Ray, nice to have you back in. Oh, well, it's great to be here, Ben. Now, Ray and I chat a lot off, um, offline, so to speak. So Ray's been doing an incredible, th- incredible thing recently. You've been consulting to a country outside of, South Af- outside of South Africa about athletics going forward. Yes, I just got back from Namibia.
3: I met with the Olympic committee and um, try to help them in rugby,
2: cricket and track and field and so on. It was a great experience. Fantastic. Well, what Red's also done is he's got a young track star in the studio today. Tanda Roto, pleased to meet you. <laughs> Welcome to the studio. Pleased to meet you too. Thank you. And even better than that, Coach Henny Creel sitting right next to him. Now, Henny, I did some research on you. The things you have done in sport.
0: Yeah, uh, I've got uh, many years' involvement in sports. Uh, first as an athlete and a rugby player myself growing up in South Africa. It was a given, but uh, I always had a passion ...for coaching and I started at a very young age and happy to still be going.
2: All right. So we got these two young men in the studio and Ray. (laughs) Um, And we're going to basically get through like something I love about sport is that it is entertainment. So we have all the stars we need. We have these unpredictable plot lines and every sport dishes up its own story. Now, Ray... With your involvement in Nike back in the day, your involvement physically with athletics, there's something that, I mean, you'll be able to tell me this. So there's something about athletics that makes it a little bit more special because the, the dedication, the commitment from athletes to get to the top, I think is slightly different in, than any other sport. Henny, you can also touch on this because you have a rugby background. So we're going to talk sprinting today. We're going to talk about making it a champion because in front of us here, we have potentially one of the great South African sprinters in our time. Tando is already gone sub 10. He's got a fastest of 995. So let's start off with you. How did I mean the obvious question? How did you get into the sport, and when did you realize that you really had a talent for the track?
1: I actually got into the sports uh, through school in high school when I was watching the the, the guys that played soft soccer, cricket, and and rugby with, and I noticed actually I'm faster than most of the guys. And then when it came to inter high, and then I I, I took a chance, and then. Yeah, I beat more, more, most of them, and then I was like, hey, this is where I belong.
2: <laughs> so it wasn't a surprise to you when you got on the track and you were like, I can totally take these guys? It
1: wasn't, but also it was a surprise that I took them on so easily, so yeah.
2: <laughs> and then and then from there, you didn't really want to focus on any other sport? This was yeah, okay. I was like,
1: this is where I belong, so I took it as a profession.
2: Now, when did the relationship between you and Henny come into fruition? Because, Henny, obviously you are associated with a variety of stars. You know, I think if I was a young, talented person, I would seek out your attention for sure. When did the two of you get together
0: as a professional? Uh, I think it was 2012. Um, We've got a a, a private sports school at a university, the Tuck Sport High School. Um, And I was the the head coach sprint. I'm still the head coach uh, for sprints there. And Tandu joined the school he actually didn't want to come and train with me. He wanted to train with the middle distance guys. But they forced him and uh yeah, we very soon we developed a good relationship and uh it just grew from from there. So I coached him since I think twenty twelve. Since twenty twelve. Uh, yeah.
2: Yeah. And straight away, I mean obviously raw talent is something that you'll see from time to time, but when does in your mind raw talent become something that you want to work with or you see potentially? I know this is quite a broad question, but, yeah. I mean, it is no, not No for well.
0: me for me, it's not about talent. It's about uh, commitment. You have to find the right people. Uh, talent is, uh, first of all, overrated. Uh, and, and, you know, the question, what is talent? But if you find the right people with the right drive and self-motivation, that becomes easy. And Tandu was from day one like that.
2: So, now, Ray, from your perspective, you've seen all the greats. I mean, personally, up, up close and personal, What what do you look for as well in a young athlete that you could potentially give advice to for Tundo going forward?
3: Well, I look at commitment, and uh, he's with one of the best sprint coaches in all of Africa, uh, in Henny. And, uh, you know, you have to look at commitment from the individual sprinter. It could be very lonely. It's not a team sport at all. And he has to listen to what the coach has to say, and he has to stay with the coach for a long period. I see in South Africa what happens with a lot of these athletes, they switch from coach like – you know, like Candy, it's, it's unbelievable. Uh, I stayed with my coach for 12 years, and Steve Scott had been Miller for like 16 years. And it's it's a commitment, like Henny said. And I tell you, Tondo is the real deal. I mean, to run sub 10 twice, and he's so young. He's only 22 years old.
2: Tondo, you've also had some setbacks in your young career. I think 2013, 2015, your hamstring was rather problematic you then went to the World Champs. I remember watching you last year and it was one of, my most heart, one of my most heartbreaking moments of last year. was watching you and you looked like you were fire that day. Unfortunately, you had a false start. So in your young time, you've already had setbacks. People have been telling you that you are the next big thing, all that kind of stuff. How do you balance this? And Henny, you can obviously chip in on this question here because naturally you're a part of your support system. How do you balance your own expectations with actually just wanting to get out there and be a sprinter and be you?
1: how I balance that you, you know actually i don't really chase times and everything all i want to do is come come back train work hard and run and if i put on the right ra- race plan at the right time then i don't have to worry about anyone's expe- ex- ex- expectation or my expectation i just need to execute mm. and it will all come yeah so
0: uh, if I can add, maybe to that, uh, each coach, each athlete has got their own way of doing things, and I think sometimes the, the Hollywood movies tends to to give us a, a, a wrong perspective on things. You know, it seems every time everything is planned. It's not like that. It's exactly what Tandu says. If you put in the work, you 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 can never predict. You've got sort of an idea, but you can see in a training an athlete is moving. But to put everything together, to go sub ten on a specific day, everything needs to be in sync. Yeah. And you cannot always predict those things. So uh, we tend not to focus too much on one specific race, one specific competition, but stay healthy, run fast. The other thing that uh, I think, and, and we're going to maybe touch a little bit more uh, on on what is different, what we do. I must, I will, I will shock a lot of coaches by saying. We don't follow a very systematic periodization plan. What we try to do is to get them to run fast consistently. Yeah. And on the right day, hopefully they can go faster. So you see what happened in the world championships. If you had, if you put the whole season, everything on that race and had a false start, where would have you have been? A nervous wreck. So, uh, <laughs> it, it's, it's like any job. It's a journey, you know, and, and, and you're going to have your ups and you're going to have your downs. So my job is to get them stay healthy. Be fast. You know, in the old days, when I competed, competition was three months. Now they compete six, seven months. You cannot be slow in any time during that time. So you need to be fast, and hopefully they end with the big meetings a little bit faster. If you look at Bolton, these guys, they run
3: consistently fast. How do you keep them at that level without burning them out, coach?
0: Yeah. Uh, Ray, I'll be honest with you. I've, I've got experience in professional rugby and athletics. The big problem in sport in the world is overtraining. True. It's overtraining. So having them, uh, like today, Tandu was supposed to have a gym session this morning. He came in and he said to me, Coach, I'm flat. We postpone. There's Great. nothing wrong with that. Yeah. Where normally coaches will get excited. No, you have to. And then you start overtraining. Overtraining is a much bigger problem than undertraining.
2: Well, with your back, your rugby background would suggest that. I mean, those guys—they look
0: to be running on empty most parts of the season. (laughs) Again, and I've I've been away from that sport now for for a number of years since 2005. And we had a very successful period with the Blue Bulls from 2000 to 2005. We yes. played in four finals and, and won three. Of course and and it's probably my biggest contribution was to get the coaches to believe to do less and not more. Oh, wow. That's incredible because yeah. the moment you, start, you don't win, people start questioning commitment. Yeah. So, I mean, that's a real mature decision. We're not yet to talk rugby, but I'll tell you this. A team that's overtrained tends to to go down the last 20 minutes. And if you don't know the difference, you think they're undertrained. So, my, come Monday… You hit them. Yeah. Your problem becomes bigger.
3: Yeah. Henny, you were involved in track and field. You started in track and field. I mean, you trained Myrtle Boltman, one of the greatest 400 hurdle runners in the world, and still holds a South African record from 1986. Why did you leave track and field and go to rugby and then come back to track and field?
0: Yeah, it's easy, right? I mean, track and field has always been my first love, but rugby became a professional sport in 1995, end of 1995, 96. And uh, one of the provincial sides The SWD Eagles They really suffered They lost their three last matches Last three matches in 96 By more than 100 points So they appointed a new coach A friend of mine And by talking to him He asked me Would I like to come uh, As the conditioning specialist And I grabbed the opportunity Uh, I stayed in that sport for nine years and that so helped me to
2: suggest that friend was Heineke
0: Meyer right? No. It oh. was uh Phil Pretorius. Oh. So me Heineke oh. was the assistant coach. Oh, okay. And uh, I met with Heineke there, Phil left um, after one year, got another opportunity, and me and Heineke stayed together. So the nine years I spent in rugby I spent with Heineke. So those years helped me a lot. Professional because rugby became professional. And athletics in South Africa today is not a professional sport. True, But that uh, professional background helped me a lot and it taught me a lot and also helped me to work with a group of people. So in in, in in I don't want to talk about my group because it's my group, but let's say my training group currently is between 30 and 40 athletes, different events. Wow. So being work with a team helped me a lot. And there's only one way You need to be disciplined with those kids They need to have discipline If you don't have that, you, you, you cannot I cannot coach one or two athletes, it's just not me I like to work with different athletes, different events And I think that rugby taught me a lot uh, in that respect yeah.
3: Henny, how do you keep your athletes? Because like I mentioned earlier Athletes seem to yeah. hop ship every single month mm. how, how do you keep the tondos? How do you keep the great athletes to stay with you as a coach?
0: Well, maybe you should ask them that I don't keep them all. And I, I, sometimes ask athletes to go because I, sometimes for their benefit, uh, no, not all coaches can coach all athletes. It's like a relationship. Sure. It's a relationship and not sure. all people can work together and you have to realize that. And I sometimes ask athletes to, to go. Um, the thing is this, you're mentioning athlete jumping ship and, the first problem they experience they want to move. You have to go through that. We only learn through mistakes. Sure. You cannot after the first mistake it's like Tandu. We had to go through all this and we're still learning. The a coach needs to let's go back to the rugby. You know you're gonna lose some matches. What? That's when you learn. You don't learn when you win the matches, you learn when you're losing it. Mm-hmm. So it's the same with athletics. And successful coaches are those that it's got the ability to learn through those processes. If you don't, and Heineke is a very good example. You know, our first year Super 12, we only won one game. The second time, we lost all 11 matches. And he came through that, and he became a very successful coach. You have to learn through those experiences.
2: Just getting back to the schedule, of course, there's the South African Championships this week coming up. Now, Tanda's not going to be taking part in that. You feel that it's not a decent enough time for him. He's got some niggles. How do you guys start the season together looking at where you're going to like, pinpoint your sort of um, times to sort of shine, so to speak? I know you said about being consistently fast throughout the season, but do the two of you sit together and
0: look at a schedule and plan a year out on the back of that? Not completely like that Last year was different from this year This year we haven't done it because we had to, to see how he, he, he respond on treatment Because he had a, a serious Achilles problem So we haven't done it Last year was different So last year the emphasis was on, on world students Which was two weeks after the world championships So when he hit form, world championships became part of that So we were fairly successful in that he finished second at the World Students. He really wanted to 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 break the, the the South African record and win that. So we didn't achieve that, but he came second. So he had a successful competition. So last year we did that, not this year. See, so it depends on on the specific athlete. This year is is what we would maybe call a a, a low key year, and there's no uh, World Championships. This Commonwealth, but it's, it's very soon. It's in a- April, so. For this year, for most of the, the top sprinters and hurdlers, I see going to try to reach Diamond League level and, and, and get into international competition. So there's no one big focus for this year. Maybe Africa Championship for some of them to go to World Cup. But it's not the same as the World Championship. Next year, the next two years will be very important. Okay. Now,
2: this is a question that, I mean, I as a sports fan will always ask. I mean, your day-to-day sort of normal week time, like I mean, training-wise, track time, gym time. You know, like w- what are the sort of elements that you go through on a Monday to Sunday? Like, what's your sort of average week?
1: Uh, you know, uh, it's pretty systematic. You, you you know, Monday morning, Wednesday morning, Friday morning. You have you, got your gym sessions, and then recover uh, in between that. Then in the afternoons, you've got your track sessions. Then also on Tuesday, more 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 mornings, you have like your mobility sessions, and then in the afternoon, you have your track session so it's pretty systematic You know, you know what you have to to do and when to do it so yeah
2: it's uh, like are, that are you the kind of athlete that likes structure though or are you asking Henny to like, jazz things up from time to time I mean do you like things to be shaken up
1: uh, I'm the kind of athlete that likes structure because I believe like you have to be in the routine you have to live in it you have to in, in, you know
0: uh, uh, Tandu is a, is a more of a left brain person so he's organized uh, a lot of the other athletes not so yeah. as a coach I'm also a left brain person so uh, it helped me a lot to put structure to things but i also realize a lot of the athletes are more right brain orientated people that uh, they don't like that structure and i have to to move in between that mm-hmm. so the challenge with tandu is to sometimes to get him a little bit out of that structure because everything is not always structured Okay. Sure.
3: I want to know what your secret weapon is in that 100 meters, because every 100-meter guy has, well, I got a great start, I got a great finish, I accelerate. <laughs> what is Tondo the Rock's secret weapon in, that 100
1: meters? You know, actually, I don't want to have a secret weapon. I actually want to have a very solid start in the middle, acceleration, and the finish. So, yeah. but most people always always say, uh, "You have a great start. You have a great, you have a great, a great start." But I actually want to have a solid race completely. So,
3: I've seen your start. You look like Ben Johnson, <laughs> <laughs> the younger Ben Johnson. You just get out. You fly out of those
0: blocks. Man. Yeah, maybe I can contribute to that. Yeah, definitely. He's a yeah. powerful start. He's a, he's what yeah. we call a powerful, yes. a power sprinter. Yep. Uh, so the start is important, but one of the uh, system or the system that we follow is what we call a, a short to long system. You know when I speak to athletes coaches when you, when you go to the track, you will see athletes doing over distance early on sp- focus a lot of in, in, on endurance. But if you ask uh, athletes or coaches what is, more, what is more difficult to to improve your speed or your endurance? they will tell you speed. so why do you start in with endurance? We start with speed, we start with short. Every race you need to come out of the blocks. If the first thirty is in place you can go to forty. You can go to why do you want to start working on the last ten meters? It just doesn't make make sense.
3: You know, Henny, it's amazing you say that. In nineteen eighty eight, I was in Canada at York University watching Ben Johnson. He spent two to three hours just working on a start. I said, Dude, is that all you do? He says I have to have the greatest start in the world.
0: How amazing is that? That's what he said to well, me. Well that's where we learned it. East Coach Charlie Francis deceased yeah. today. Um that's where I learned it. I didn't invent this myself. I I can put a man on the moon if you give me the right uh, manual.
2: But now Henry, as far as like we all know that the hundred meters is about split seconds, it's not seconds. It really is. It's just it's the, the pressure alone. It's like it's like a well orchestrated dance. Every stride matters. From a coaching perspective with innovations and kind of stuff, like your job seems hugely difficult because you've got to keep up with the trends. You've got to find what works for individual athletes. Is there something like, you know, do you have influences that in your life you touch upon? Do you have other coaches that you're obviously resonating with on certain things? How do you keep yourself
0: at the top oh, of your game? The internet. The, the internet. internet is… Uh, <laughs> wow. Can you believe it? <laughs> but, I mean, is there any it's particular- out there. You know, they say that um, if you go into the internet, the information is on the internet to build an atomic bomb. Just, just need to know where to find it, how to put it together. Good analogy.
2: So the atomic bombing process here is you Tanda, obviously. Yeah. Uh, I, I, I know you're heavily involved with the, the Puma School of Speed. You recently spent some time with Usain Bolt. Mm-hmm. Now everyone will come to you and say, "Oh, what did you learn from him? You know, do you emulate him? Like, have you have you had hero symbols in your life? I mean, this the hardest thing for sports because everybody wants to. Emulate somebody, but you need to be yourself. Like when it comes to like meeting Bolt, like what are the what were the things that you guys would talk about in the in the few moments that you have?
1: <laughs> you know, actually, we didn't really got to speak with him because you know it was a he, he he was here for short time with us. But what he said in one of the inter interviews, he reinforced what Coach always always says that you need to put in the hard work in the training and you need to stay motivated and you need to stay healthy he re it and he confirmed what coach was always saying because yeah. you know he was he's retired now and he's still the world record holder so with me what he said i really believe and he confirmed what coach always said so
2: yeah but it's kind of nice because sometimes i know children and parents have this problem all the time, is that parents dispense fantastic information because they do it all the time. You almost need someone else to mimic it somewhere else and then it really resonates and hits home. (laughs) But it's interesting what you said about times. I remember I was at the press conference and Bolt said it's not about the times. It's not about getting here and running a certain time. It's about getting here and beating the other guys. The time is almost a bonus after that, which I mean, for any young person, I mean, Ray, you would know this from various milestones that people gravitate towards because they want to stand out, is that people get so hung up on times that they forget about doing the basics and realizing it's all about the starts, about the drivers, about all these different things. I mean, do you see sometimes, Henry, in your work, that some people come to you and say, "I want to run, and they give you a time. Can we do that?" You see, I,
0: I'm, I'm, I'm different from what Walt said there. Uh, winning is a product of your time. I will put you in a race that you can win every time, but if I tell you the race, you will, you will not be interested. I just put you again, twelve-year-old kids, and you will win every time. <laughs> so. so true. I try to get the athletes to run as fast as possible, as fast as they can run. If that is fast enough on the day to beat other guys, they will beat them. Obviously, when you're in the blocks, there is a competition you want to win, but there's execution. Everything, the, sure. the, the reaction, the block work, everything, that will give you a specific time. So I, I you race to win, that, so I don't want to take that away. But my job is to get them to run as fast as possible consistently.
2: Now, the question's got to be asked around altitude and sea level. Now, you know, we obviously are in here in Johannesburg. You guys train at Tux and Pretoria. Altitude's always a big factor. And there's no doubt. I mean, you will get better times altitude if you're a long jumper, high jumper, all these kind of things. It definitely helps. How do you structure Tundo's sort of training in that is he getting enough sea level stuff? Is he getting enough sea level training? If a majority of competition is going to be at sea level, I mean, do you guys take that into consideration
0: as well? Uh No. We stay in Pretoria. That's what we've got. We've got a fast track. We've got altitude. Nine days out of ten, the wind will be a tailwind. We use that. We cannot simulate uh, uh, coastal training. But I never discuss this with the athletes. We never say, oh, now we're going to run in Durban. So I can tell you from the youngsters, they don't understand the difference. Because some of my, the, the other younger boys, um, I can uh, mention uh, Gift Lotera, He's got the same time at coastal level than he's got in, in Pretoria well, Because they d- I don't discuss that Obviously it's a huge advantage for us uh, I mean Tando ran a 995 in Pretoria You know what, when it came to signing contracts and getting into Diamond Leagues Didn't hold him back because it's oh, out there good. No, Very it's good. out there He signed a, a good contract with Puma based on his time that he can run for him, luckily on that day, he raced Akani. Akani just beat him in a race. So he raced another remember athlete. That, that race. All right. So um, obviously it's our advantage, and I try to use that advantage. It gives you confidence. Running 995 gives you a huge advantage sure, and geez. confidence. Breaking so, uh, 10. So we don't focus on that because no. I cannot change that.
3: Yeah. Going back to the Puma school of speed, Tondo Tell us what position you have with that wonderful school of speed and and what
1: exactly do you do you and Usain Bolt Um uh, currently the vice prince the vice principal to the principal Usain Bolt so what I do is uh I fill in for him and uh go to all the competitions uh motivate the the kids meet and greet small chats give tips where I can and also take pictures and sign autographs with the kids and have oh. fun with them.
3: How did you get I that suppose. position? Because that, that's, a, that's he, a high position. He ran, right a, underneath he ran the the 995.
0: same 995. Oh, oh, oh,
1: excuse me. Yeah, okay,
0: 995.
2: You deserve it, buddy.
0: <laughs> well, I mentioned he's, he's a Puma-sponsored athlete yes. and I use him for those purposes.
2: So just talking about the kids, you know, obviously this – what I love is how, you know, Gatlin came here recently and there was a packed out Tuck Stadium. Kids are getting involved in athletics. I think if you're going to get a sport that's going to unify communities, it's not really rugby, cricket, football, whatever, because there's still areas to uh, – boundaries to entry there. But we got talent. we got kids that can run. You get a track together and you've got something really, really special. Seeing what you guys have seen between the two of you, and you can both answer this question, where do you see SA Athletics in, say, Olympics in the future? I mean, how realistic a chance have we got to taking up the next level and having the likes of Akani Tando, the next level after that, competing for the 100-meter Olympics uh,
0: gold and the 200 meters? I mean, we've got no excuses. We've got a population of 50 million plus. Uh, we've got the best weather in the world. We've got no excuses. We should have been there a long time ago. Uh, and... Yeah, for me, it's a personal drive. You know, I used to compete in, in apartheid times in Africa. We were, we, I, I qualified in 1980 for the Olympics, couldn't, couldn't go. And I just didn't want to see the next generation, today's generation to be withheld from those opportunities. Uh, I'm not here to criticize anyone, but the team we sent last year to world championships in my mind is just not good enough. We should not send only people that can win medals. So, we should give people opportunity. And the, the potential is unbelievable. I can tell you stories. Uh, Ray the other day was on a track. Uh, I introduced him to a young boy, Sokokwana Zazini. Sure. You know, he's the world record holder in 400 hurdles for youth. He's the world champion. And it's not just the world record. Just to put it in perspective, the world record used to be 48.9 by American. The second best time in the world ever was a 49.6. So wow. that world record was already yeah, an that's outlier. A, that's a skip. Yeah. Socks ran 40. <laughs> Breaking that world record Running on his own So he's now a first year So those kind of talent Is walking around us So we've got a. a, 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 We should get these kids Running those fast Henny You talk about
3: selection Do we have the right scouts That select the proper athletes To go to the world champions To go to the Olympic Games Because if we don't We will never be able to bring back those wonderful medals. So I just want your opinion. How are we going to get there? You said we should have been there years ago. How are we going to get there? Because Japan is a couple of years away.
0: Yeah, uh, Ray, it's it's obvious difficult questions to answer those because uh, I don't want to criticize. You see, my philosophy is this. Each one's got a job to do. My job is to coach, Tando is to train. People need to select teams, needs to do that. People needs to get funding, needs to do that. So I can focus and, and comment on, on, on my job. Obviously, as I said, I already said, I don't think we, we, we had a right uh, situation last year. We, sh- we should have sent more. But athletics to me is a business. Absolutely. For Tando, it's a business. So we don't only train for world championships. It is a highlight. It is out there, But that's not always in our hands. Okay, So – Athletes like Tandu, I teach them from day one to see it as a journey to get exposure, to go to Europe, to make money, to to become a professional athlete. And world championship and even Olympic Games is part of that. It's yes. not the only thing. You know, uh, Kim Collins now uh, uh, retired. For a couple of years, his country, his country didn't select him because he was in dispute with him. He didn't go to world championships, didn't go to to Olympic Games. At the end of his career, uh, they, they selected him again. He had a wonderful career. So you don't have to go to those big meetings. So it's not always in the athlete's hands. Um, So I don't want to focus too much on that. I I, I help the kids to run fast, make it a business. And once you're on that level running 995, you can make a business out of it. You can earn good money out of the sport.
3: How fast can Tondo go in your mind's eyes? That that,
2: that was
0: my next question too.
2: (laughs) (laughs) Should we get Tondo to answer this one first? (laughs) Yeah,
1: yeah. (laughs) How fast do I think I can go? (laughs) I think if everything connects, training, the motivation, staying healthy, I think I can go really fast. Yeah, (laughs) Yeah, it's really (laughs) really fast. (laughs) You know, you can't as coach said, you cannot predict time, but I think I can break my nine nine five and go even faster. Yeah, so I can go really fast.
0: (laughs) Right. Well. I personally think his, his goal should be going in the nine sevens, you know, yeah. you don't go yeah. nine sevens. was taking that uh, also. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. And, and that will take a lot, but I think he, he understands himself a lot better. He stands and understands the training program. So I think in another yeah. two, three years that is possible.
3: See, nine seven gets you in the big leagues. Yeah. You start winning, all the sponsors coming, all the invitations come. And right, yeah. you,
0: you said about medals. If you want to win, win medals at uh, the big stage or even the, get on the podium, yeah, you yeah. know.
2: Now, we all know there's some great talent coming through. So, Tando, what's like the rivalry like between you and say Akani or Anasa Jabadwana? I mean, when you guys go to these meets or when you see each other in training or just in passing, I mean, do you guys all kind of get along or is that sort of like, you know, natural kind of competitiveness against you guys?
1: You know, it's kind of different because we have like the life outside the track and then we have the, the, the life on the track. So the life outside the track is we meet at HBC, we greet, we have supper, meals Because we all based in the same camp But when we get on to, to to the track It's like switches, it's warrior mode You have to, tunnel vision, know, yeah. tunnel vision So, yeah, so we have that, you know Split kind of personality type of thing going on But yeah, it's, the relationships are good, yeah
2: But now if you, when you feel like you go on the international stage, because the level is so strong here in South Africa, I mean, do you feel it's it's less daunting to make that leap because the guys you're training against are already world class?
1: Yeah, it is less daunting. And also having those, having to run fast times here in South, South, South Africa, it also gives you that confidence booster that actually I'm here with these guys and racing against guys like Akane, Wade, Joe Botswana, you 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 racing against one of the best athletes in the world, and if you get to beat them here at home, then you know you can do it out there
0: it's it's a little bit different going to Europe you know if you're on the South Africa and you get beaten with one of those it 's a bit of bragging rights, you know people know and they will mention it. You go to europe you're on a race there you don 't know the other seven athletes mm. you might know their names tomorrow morning you're on the bus to the airport in another race, seven different athletes so It's sort of a bit easier if you have a a, a bad race in Europe than here in South Africa. The pressure is is heavy in South Africa. You're racing the same guys often. Uh, You sort of know what to expect. In Europe, it's it's totally different. You don't know the athletes. And then something else I want to mention. uh, I picked up on a diamond league, going to diamond leagues. You know when the Americans and the Jamaicans come there, they – they overpower you. They're loud. <laughs> they play the music, you know. They take space up in the warm-up area. They they intimidate you. So I picked up on this. We've got a huge advantage because they only speak English. So when the South African athletes come together and they start speaking Kosa and Zulu, it worries those athletes. They don't know what you're saying. I, I've, I saw them. They're looking up. They're not comfortable with that. And I think we as South African athletes, although we compete against each other, should use that as a as a weapon against uh, – they're uncomfortable when they speak in cause and a, Zulu. That's a know, great point.
3: Coach, it's amazing you said that because that was my next question. How does he handle the pressure? Because the pressure in 100 meters – is harder than anything because now you're racing to be the fastest human and you get some of these cocky Americans that strut <laughs> their stuff. Yeah. I mean, it must be frightening, especially when you're coming up like a youngster like Tondo because they try to intimidate you as you just told us.
0: You no, know, maybe Tondo should, should answer this as well. You know, <laughs> it's, it's amazing that his first reaction, coach, they, they're no different. You don't oh, wow. have to fear them. When you see them there in a warm up, they are no different.
1: Yeah, cause you, you know, we tend to put them on a, on a pedestal yes. and yeah. think they're superhuman. Yeah. But actually when we meet them, we see, huh, this guy is like the next Joe I can meet in back home in South, South Africa. And also having self confidence that I've put in the, the, the work. I've ran that, 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 that time. So I can do it. So having that self belief inside that I can do it, it never bothers me that the next the next guy is going to come and be arrogant on me. I'm going to look, 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 look at him and think, what are you doing?
2: Exactly. Like, not yeah. in your face. Yeah. Henny, anyway, with, with all your expertise, with all your experience, what is like the kind of things you cannot teach or help Tondo with once he gets out there? I mean, in a day-to-day kind of life, because we all know lives change when you become a superstar, when you get your contracts, when you get into the big stage. What are the things that you know that no matter how hard you try,
0: you can't actually help him with? My philosophy around this is: I don't make decisions for the athletes. Right. So I teach them from day one. They decide when they want to compete. I will. I will tell them what I think is best. Even training, uh, Tandu can. Can this morning he came and he said he's flat. I said it's fine. Mm-hmm. What do you think? He said no. Uh, we're gonna. Do, uh, I think we should do uh, mobility. I said it's fine. He knows. He's not lazy. If an athlete wants to get out of a session because he's lazy, he will not make it. So. Um, it is something I think uh, we've got a huge need for in our schools and our homes is for adults to teach young people to make decisions you know yeah. we, we don't do that so in 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 the group that I work with, I try to teach them to make their own decisions because you can only take responsibility if you make your own decisions it's pure empowerment yes yeah. so in that sense i don't really try to t- i try to Teach them to be decent human beings, disciplined human beings. If I can teach them that, they will be successful. The training and program a is not a, it's not a big part of the success. The, the reason I
2: ask that because it must be in your position. Sometimes you feel like it becomes too consuming, like you, you want the best and therefore you're willing to give the best. But it's almost like you've got to know where your limit is and be okay with that. And like you say, if you get the foundations right and empower decision-making, then your job is done in an overarching sense.
0: You know what? <laughs> We always try to hear from the athlete, you know, what makes the difference? How do you feel? A coach goes through all of those himself, you know. If you are, if you don't have confidence, if you don't have self-belief, you athlete won't have that. <laughs> so I like to put them under pressure to come back to socks. You know, socks is a, 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 is a, is a schoolboy. I allowed him the other day to compete with against three Olympians, you know, and he beat them. So nice. it came Thursday, the big meeting. We had a world champion in that race. I pushed him into that race. I said, go and, and, and he got clubbed. He was, he was first in that race. And what was great about him, he didn't sulk. He said, coach, that wasn't good enough. So you have to put them under pressure. If they cannot handle pressure, they will, you cannot take that pressure. Don't, coach should never try to take the pressure off them. You should put it's the so pressure clear. on them. That's when they, then you see the big ones that can take pressure. So true. Ray, anything else on your side?
2: I mean, we, well, we we could chat to you guys for like all day. Or yeah, I mean, this stuff yeah, is fascinating. No, I, I feel great chatting here. It's but, it's just such a great dynamic to have both of you in the studio because there's such a there's so much that goes into you know obviously breeding the talent and the excellence to get onto the track. Ben, when's the last time you had one of the best sprint coaches in Africa and uh, a guy that runs sub
3: ten uh, across exactly. from you? I mean, it's very rare. But, Henny, in your own words. Tell us what the business of sport is all about, in your own words.
0: Well, first of all, Ray, you, you need to, to understand and, and accept that it's a business. Yes. Uh, you know, I speak a lot to a lot of coaches. A lot of coaches, you will ask them, why, why do you coach? No, it's my hobby. And then after a while, they will start complaining about it's, it's costing them. You know, a hobby costs you. Yeah. <laughs> so the next level is you can maybe appoint it somewhere at a school and they pay you a salary. So now you start to, but then you, you work in the business or you work, you, you earn a salary to make money. You need to see it as a business. Okay. Now for me it's, 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 it's a, it's a two way uh, perspective. First business is about m- making money, but I see it as making Performance, creating performance. I try to use business principles to create performance because performance will bring in the money. So for an athlete, there's only one way, two ways, but you first get to a level where you sign a shoe deal to have a sustainable income and then competing and signing more contracts with more sponsors. But you have to earn your money through running as well Going to Europe Winning uh, yeah. winning. You have to win Appearance fees Bonuses Those sort of things So for me as a coach The easy way is to coach 80 kids that pay you I don't want to do that I, I, do, I do coach more than 30 athletes But that's not the reason So coaching enough athletes With shoe contracts So they, you start earning 5 or 10% From their earnings oh, Is good. part of it Well you know I, I'm, I'm on record with this I don't do this for the money But I pay my house I pay my car I go on vacation I was, in, I was seven weeks in Europe last year it didn't cost me a cent mm. You have to pay bills also, coach yeah. So you have to use the principle The business principles And I think the biggest problem is Athletes don't see it Because if you're a soccer player Football player, rugby player You sign a big contract Athletes need, first needs to get to that level Before they sign a contract so Like in South Africa We don't have a development system We have an incentive system When you're good enough Then they will give you money But you need to get there yourself So staying healthy is very important And that's expensive So we need to find ways The other day I read this powerful thing To create uh, world class athletes You need to have a world class system So my job is to building systems so I work very closely with an agent or agents because they understand the business. They know how to get these funding. We as coaches, we don't have that expertise. We should right. not try doing it. Yeah. We should focus, and, and I said it earlier in the talk, each one has got a job to do. So putting a system together, people with the same vision. Yeah. The team. The team. Yeah. The team. And it's an athlete-centered, coach-driven system. Yeah. That is very
2: important. Yeah. Makes a lot of sense. Tony, just finally from you again, more of a, a, a fan question. Three favorite things about being a professional athlete and three things that are maybe a little more difficult that you don't always look forward to. You know, I love the traveling. I love going to Europe because <laughs> that's, that's a good thing. <laughs> <that's just> <laughs> we all do, don't we? <laughs>
1: I love that. Uh, I love, uh, the re- the running against different types of athletes. Jamaicans, Japanese, Chinese, you know. Yeah. Yeah, that vibe. And I also love what from that, Sleeping that I, Late. Yeah. Sleeping late or sleeping <laughs> early. <laughs> but what I kind of dislike is the early mornings in Europe where you have to get onto the next train to to the next bus. Yeah. Yeah, that I kind of have a problem with. But actually other than that nothing else. Okay. yeah
2: so the the pros heavily outweigh the the, the negatives here that 's right you good. see they don 't deal with the politics the <laughs> coaches deal with the politics just, just hope not. Cool, guys. Well, so just from here, what, what does the rest of the season hold? I mean, where are we going to look out for Tondo? Where are we going to see Where are we going to see his name in lights so that we know it gets Well, excited? as I said
0: earlier, uh, we haven't had fixed plans yet because we had to see how he, he respond on his injury. So we are now just started what we call a specific phase. Uh, we, we're done with it more of a general phase. He could take that. So now he's faster running, and immediately the body uh, is, is, is uh, reacting differently. He's a bit stiff. Uh, because specific phase means running faster. But uh, I foresee coming end of May, June, he might be able to start uh, competing in Europe.
2: Cool. Henny, Tunda, Ray, guys, thank you so much. That was hugely informative and uh it's just well it's kind of my my love for the athletics is growing each each week it really is it's a shame I'm not going to see you at sa champs but we're going to see you there in the future and yeah. 995 well that's just for now who knows where the future's going to go and i'm so excited to see where your progress is at yeah
0: Great. thank you ben. thank you ben. Yeah, thank Thanks, you it was
2: very nice massively exciting talent is that tando he's such a nice guy as well so you know he's a guy early 20s done so much he's gone through the injuries has gone through the setbacks and with a guy like Henny in his corner, well, he's going to go through a lot of good, a lot of success, and wish him all the best. There's so much talent in this country to see it shining on international tracks. Well, as a sports fan, as a South African, it all makes me feel very, very good. There is golf this week. is the Tour Championship of the Sunshine Tour. So it's nice to see that these guys are getting a few more extra events sort of late in the season. There was the Stain City Team Competition. Uh, but more importantly, the Tour Championships, because it's nice to be able to sort of just bring everything together, even though the Sunshine Tour isn't going to compete ever, of course, against the big events. Uh, so the big tours like the USPGA, the European Tour, even the Asian Tour. There are some great events on this. And just for the local guys who are committed to it. To have it all come together into one event, it's just a nice little bit of closure. George Garcia, he's, of course, top of the Sunshine Tour Order of Merit that win in Pretoria at the Schwane Open. That was a big deal for him. So he's just under a shade and 3 million rand. Eric van Rooyen's in second, just under 2.4. And then JC Ritchie, he's in third, just over 2 million. So, look, it's George, uh, I, yeah, he's going to win it from here. So if you're in the General Gauteng area, the Serengeti Golf Estates is near Oortembo International Airport. Get on down and support the guys. Live golf is lots and lots of fun. So last week I was at Fancourt for the BMW Golf Cup International World Final. It is the world's biggest amateur golfing tournament. So much fun, so so much fun. You play three rounds if you're one of the final contestants. So basically, what the what the dealership uh, network does for BMW around the world is they have these regional Golf Cup International events. So you do well there and you win your division. There's two divisions. There's men, A, B, women. Um, and then you basically there's three spots up for grabs. You then go through to a national final. And if you win your national final, then you get to represent your country at the world final. So every year it's somewhere different. Five years ago, it was at Fancourt. I got to go, uh, be a part of it at that, that time as well. And then this, this year. So the 2017 event takes place in 2018. So it's always the follow on thing. And it was fan court and it was incredibly successful. I mean, everyone, you have the time of your life for this event. I don't want to get into it because I've already made a great video. If you go onto the YouTube channel at follow the bounce, you'll see the full experience from my perspective as well as playing the links. So I got to play the links. The, the players at the tournament themselves don't play. So it's a little bit difficult, but I got to do it and it was just amazing. Before we wrap it up for this week, we need to talk cricket and we need to talk, um, how things are developing with the whole Kaki Sarabata band. All the stuff around the SA Australia took. Because there's so much drama off the field. And I just see today, uh, I woke up to see a, a tweet of Werner Philander basically having a go at Steve Smith saying, you know, it's the first time I've seen the footage and it looks like Steve's definitely milking it. Uh, actually got to tell. I'll read a few word for word. Haven't, okay, this is Werner Philander's account, VDP underscore 24. Haven't really seen the footage of this incident, but by the looks of this, because now he's actually he's taken a screenshot or he's taken a, a shot from a super Sport of the incident of brushing shoulders he says steve smith gave Kg the shoulder he could have avoided any contact but to me he's just as guilty trying some football skills to get a penalty pity he didn't die to top it off so that was one through burns account and then a few hours later he then follows up with the good morning all my tweets Waking up this morning to a lot of Twitter craziness as my account got hacked and someone posted a nice little article on my behalf. Sorry for all the drama or entertainment caused by the looks of it. Have a great day all. Yeah, well, we'll get into that in this week's vlog. But we need to get into what's going to happen around this whole uh, appealing of the suspension for Abada. So we know he's been given a two-match suspension. He's getting Him and the cricket staff are getting the lawyers together. They have lodged an appeal which means the ICC now have 48 hours to find an independent commissioner around this, and then within seven days, they actually have to put a hearing together and come up with a verdict because the appeal process is as such. The way I see it, there's going to be three outcomes here. First up, either way, the ICC are in so much crap by putting themselves in this position where he's getting banned like this for what has happened. Yes, they can fall back on that whole rules is rules thing because of all the demerit points stacking up, and yes, that makes perfect sense. When you're a repeat offender, then you will get punished more and more severely as you go along. But we all know the nature of these offenses is just so marginal. It's just the ICC are really being... They're making an example of someone who is... It just doesn't make sense. It doesn't sit well. And a lot of people are just calling it petty. Anyway, so from the appeals process, I see it going three ways. They uphold the conviction, two-match suspension, all done. Stay as we are right now. Or you get a reduced ban. So rebuttal will just be um, suspended for the Cape Town test which in a way makes for a dramatic final test, the Wanderers, because if he comes back, and let's just say the Cape Town test is a draw, it's 1-1 going into the Wanderers, and Rabada comes back, that is pure theater, it really is. The third case, on which I don't see happening, is for the ban to be completely lifted. If this happens, then the ICC are in so much trouble, because going forward, they're going to have to be just as hard on other people, which means more bans, but that also then means more uh disputes around the bands which means more appeals and long processes around if players are or not playing either way the ICC have put themselves in a the corner here and I've got no sympathy for them they've put themselves in a whole pile of mess and it could have been avoided I just think it's just so so petty and to prove this I'm going to play for you a couple of clips of Australians just just being Australians just being out on the field. Remember when Josh Hazelwood got a third umpire decision, didn't go his way, despite the fact that it was clearly bat before pad? This was against New Zealanders. Like ah, crap, sorry. Put this thing in here. One day, I'm going to be so polished on this show, it's going to be amazing. <laughs> anyway, Josh Hazelwood, after his appeal, didn't get met with the result that he wanted. Him ...and be angry like Yeah, you heard that. You heard that, didn't you? He... (laughs) Um, And be angry like that. Who the fuck is third umpire? I quote, who the fuck is third umpire? Did he get suspended for two matches? He directly questioned, firstly, the decision, which is, that's a no-no. Secondly, he actually questioned the nature of the third umpire, who the fuck he is, and that was fine that's cool just, let's, just, let's just carry on uh, remember uh, Michael Clark versus James Anderson okay, like, I mean, you don't have to like or dislike James Anderson but how about this get ready
3: for a broken fucking oh.
2: get ready for a broken fucking arm <laughs> uh, it's awesome it's great get
3: ready for a broken fucking arm
2: no biggie, right? I mean, he's just basically threatening the guy with uh, physical harm. Yeah, that's fine. Did he get banned for two matches? <laughs> of course he didn't. <laughs> he's stupid. Uh General, it just seems that the ICC don't want you saying horrible things. I mean, you just, you just can't do it. Here's uh, Andrew Simons just having a bit of a bowl. And then while fielding a ball, he comes into contact with a batsman who's kind of minding his own business. Simons. I'll feel
0: oh it.
2: yeah fucking bar. Oh dear idea Zero dear, dear indeed day. the low oh yeah Well fielder Oh it. yeah fucking
3: back.
2: Oh Did he get idea. suspended? Did he get demerit points? Of course he didn't. No. What about This is the thing about the the suspension and this stuff because again, if ICC are going to stick to this that is their thing, okay, cool. But this ungentlemanly conduct, it's bringing the game into disrepute. How about something like this? If all these rules are going to be upheld because the ICC have got to be consistent now, what about wicket keepers who are incessantly just talking and talking shit behind the stumps? Surely they fall into a category, right?
3: Nice, Gary! Just a little bit. That's too nice, short. Nice, Gary! That's when a
2: wicket keeper is constantly in your ear like Wade is here. Did it annoy you? Did you want to turn around and say, mate, seriously?
1: Yeah, occasionally there was a keeper that really get under your skin. It's, if there was a spinner bowling for a long time and you're that close,
3: nice Gary.
1: And the ball comes out of the middle of the bat, and there's all this cheering and just Jared like one. that one. Yes. I
3: turn around and say, "Mate, what's nice about that? I've just it's hit the middle of
0: my bat."
1: <laughs> but generally they're known to be churkers, aren't they, the keepers? Stands up, plays it well. But uh, good pressure applied here. It's a, a bowling partnership that could bring about a wicket. To... <laughs> He's
3: <They're> still going.
2: He's <laughs> uh, a lot more secure in behind. <laughs> He's sort <of> pushing forward.
3: and <laughs> shot,
2: Yep, one bad shot is going to bring
1: Faf Plessis in,
2: mate. <laughs> yeah,
1: Faf Plessis just got 100. And he's in pretty good form, Wadey.
2: Now, of course, I, I believe cricket, so it's a contact sport. You making contact bat, ball. It's hard. Test cricket is hard. It's nuts. That's why I love it. So... I'm all for this. People can talk. They can sledge all that kind of stuff. Australians will talk about that line, so to speak. But, I mean, it's a big boys game. Kevin Peterson said it best. These guys, it'll all balance out. It's kind of like nature, right? It'll all balance it out. You'll end up shutting up when things get dealt to you. But if the ICC are going to uphold this whole thing about you can't talk in a certain direction, you can't say yes or whatever, whatever, then things are going to become so petty that the wicket keepers can't talk and say stuff. This is where it's going. You may think I'm extreme, but this is exactly where it's going. And the ICC have put themselves into this horrible hole and it's going to be rather funny seeing how they're going to fall out of it. Of course, what they'll do is they'll just do what they've been doing for so long and just back the ICC three, which is just India, Australia and England. And I hate harping on about this because it sounds like I'm just on the outside looking in and I'm having a cry, but I'm not because these guys are, I mean, are they going to really tell Virat Kohli that he can't run from the slips and shout pissed off? Are they really going to tell him that? Of course they're not. Are they really going to tell David Warner that he can't keep muttering things about people's mothers as he walks in between overs? Of course they're not going to do that. KG Rabada, though, fired up fast bowler who's just turning the world on its head right now because he's so bloody talented. Oh, no, no, he can't say anything. Ah, that's not really great. He can't say yes, yes, yes in the general direction of an Australian batsman. Of course not. But... Double standards and all that kind of stuff. That is the show for the week. Thanks so much for joining me. Catch me on Twitter at follow the Bounce. Otherwise catch me right here on cliffcentral.com every Monday to Friday just after 6.40 a.m. live with your daily sportscasts. Otherwise just on the bunts.c.auzade. You'll find the daily sportscast, this podcast and a whole bunch more. Catch you back next week. This is cliffcentral.com.